Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole presents A Space Podity. The deep space exploration of David Bowie and all of his works. Season 1, we talked about Trent Reznor and THE Nine Inch Nails. But in Season 2, we put our astronaut gear on and were launched into the cosmos to find David Bowie's home planet. If you don't know by now, this is Mark Branstead, and joining me on this expedition is Stephen Earle and Eric Monroe. Hello, I'm here tonight. Yeah, Excellent. Eric, Eric is here, and I just gotta say, uh, you know, ooh, blood clot, booty up up. So tonight, it. we set sail to battle the evil Captain LeChuck as we review and discuss the album Tonight, released in 1984, which is fair to say if Bartles and James were an album... It would sound like this. <laughs> Very fair. And uh, apparently I'm, you know what? I like Bartle and James more than I know. So there you go. <laughs> uh, it's good for a hot day. It is. So this album came out in uh, 1984, I believe. That is the truth. Sure. Steve, oh, okay. uh, before, before we go back to 1984, just a little itsy bitsy bit of Bowie Bulletin to, to announce. I'm sorry. I'll get through it fast. But uh, it's just so appropriate since we've been talking about it recently. Iggy Pop's releasing a box set of the Bowie years. It is The Idiot and Lust for Life and a bunch of supplementals, uh, alternate versions of songs, live performances from that era. It looks amazing. I'm just very excited for it. And I listened to one of the versions of China Girl that's going to go on it and did not disappoint. So yay for that. that is, Look out for that one. That is very exciting. And uh Listeners of the podcast know that we've been really enjoying the Iggy Pop tangential uh, aspects to the Bowie years. So that is very timely. And we'll talk about Iggy Pop again tonight. Yeah, he could not escape this album either. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it came out in uh, 1984. And what else, Eric, was going on in 1984? Give us us the biggest, most important things you could find about 1984. 1984 is like, oh, look at me. I'm Gipper. I'm Gipper. I like my jelly beans. That's my Reagan impression. Did you like that, guys? Spot on. (laughs) That is uh, Reagan impression. Start with the uh, Land of Confusion video, and (laughs) it's all downhill from there. I'd say between Land of Confusion and Jim Carrey on In Living Color, you're somewhere in the middle. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. I'll take I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, guys. Not a lot to report. There was a lot of space stuff going on. First uh, untethered spacewalk happened. There was some uh, assassinations across the world, including uh, the uh, prime minister of India. You could uh, buy a house for $37,000 in a Gipper's America. But um, let's get on to the pop culture. What do you say? Listen, if you're yes. going to buy a, if you're going to buy a toy this year, you were about two years short of the NES coming out, so you would have had to have buy a ColecoVision uh, console. Coleco. Which a, Coleco, Coleco. Which, which had a Donkey Kong on it. Uh, you could also buy uh, any My Little Pony Your Little Heart Desired for $5. Oh, the days, the glory days. 
Um, and uh, Barbies and Care Bears were big toys. Big toys during this time. Um, but hey, what are you really here for, right? Right? You're really here for the pop culture. Um, big movies. Guys, Ghostbusters dropped this year. What What else do you have to say about it? It's great. Fantastic. It's great. Cats and dogs living together. That's right. Ghost ghost blowjobs in the middle of the night whilst you're sleeping. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. um, uh, you had Temple of Doom drop this year. Temple of Doom, which I know we've brought up on the show before, but I think it's important to mention that our friend Sarab used to walk around with a hat that said Temple of the Doom is the best Indiana Jones movie. He just made that hat. And then when we actually talked about it with him, he thought he was talking about Last Crusade the whole time. It <laughs> <laughs> was on brand. So he, he had like a hat. He made a hat that said Temple of Doom is the best Indiana Jones movie. He was very proud of this. And we actually, so, so you like the monkey brains or, no, I like it when he's hanging out with his dad. No, that's Last Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's great. fantastic. Great. That's great. Uh, we got, we got some other films like Karate Kid, Star Trek three and police Academy. And, uh, the Terminator. And just to throw a little shout out to another podcast. Uh, we all are big run the jewels fans. I think Mark even started drinking that run the jewel Kool-Aid recently. And, uh, LP, who's one half of that and his wife created a podcast called the Panducto Corn cast where they just watch movies. They force movies on each other in isolation during this time. And their first episode was the Terminator, which got me excited to watch it again. So there you go. Uh, music from this era, Phil Collins, of course, uh, Tina Turner. Won't the, won't, that won't be the last time we bring up Phil Collins or Tina or, Turner or Tina Turner. But her What's Love Got to Do With It dropped this year. And I remember that as a kid, as, as just being a huge splash in the pond. Um, uh, Whams, Wake Me Up Before You Go. Billy Ocean, UB40. And uh, Springsteen. Would that be the, uh, I guess that would be Born in the USA? You tell me, sir. probably feels like more than the usa should be what came out in 84 it's a great album it's got a good it's got the tissue the, the title track is is great but it's also got a oh god is it a bobby jean billy jean i think it's bobby jean it's a great song dancing Whatever the, the name is. dancing in the darks on there yeah uh uh and uh just back it up for a second did you say billy ocean oh yeah yes i have a you know, there's a lot of the politics these days are so fast and furious with the pandemic and just the daily buffoonery of this administration that we can't even keep up with it. And as a matter of fact, tonight, the podcast will be an escape from all that. But I just want to say that I can't think of Billy Ocean and the brave souls we lost in Operation Ocean in the Desert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ocean in the Desert. The Mr. Oh. Show deep cut right there. There you go. Uh, to a lesser extent, both the Cars and Ultravox had hits this year, and both are great bands, as far as I'm concerned. As far as this band's money goes. Was an Ultravox, was that the band that Midge Uru was from? You got it. Awesome. All ties together, man. That's right. Uh, 
Big TV shows, Dynasty, Magnum P.I., Falcon Crest, Hill, Hill Street Blues, and Cheers was knocking out of the park in 1984. Cheers has been a go-to uh, during these times we're spending uh, at home more often for me. That yeah. show, Pound for Pound, is just a, incredibly funny. The jokes fly yeah. so fast, it's hard to keep up with them. So good. I, I think that Netflix should have a, a randomizer option for a show like Cheers where you can just hit play me any episode. And uh, Seinfeld would, would benefit from that as well. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's a good idea. It's a good idea. All right, guys, that's 1984 that, you know, everybody, hey, listen, they got their baggy slacks. They've got their uh, their shoulder pads. They've got their poofy hair and they're ready to listen. They're begging for a new Bowie album. But before they get before they get that new album, they're begging for the theme song to sports in their lives. Where I can can tell you that in the World Series, baseball, remember baseball? We'd be too much deep into baseball. Yeah, actually, no, we'd be, uh, how it would be, Jesus Christ, I guess the season just would have started 12 days ago. It feels a lot longer than that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyhow, the, uh, the Detroit Tigers beat the San Diego Padres, for which I think might have been their last World Series. Uh, The Boston Celtics beat the Lakers in the finals of the NBA. Two teams who, if you ask me, have won enough things. And over in football, good old American football, the Super Bowl 28 was the Raiders over the Washington Redskins. And I am not a Raiders fan, but I do appreciate the Raiders. And uh, the Raiders have been pitiful for, for decades now. So. Good for them back then, beating the Redskins. And the Redskins are still named the Redskins to this day, as we all know. And if it, Eric can't stand it. Eric doesn't even know anything about sports, but he knows that, and it just lights his brain on fire. That's right. That's, I got, no, to- I got no, no patience for that nonsense. I wonder if Leonard Skinner was Redskins fans. Oh, by the way, uh, so tonight, I, I've, we've been pretty good about the social distancing in this house, but I do, I do go more often than I'd like to admit I do go out and just pick up just one more thing. You know, I'm trying not to do that, but listen, my wife's pregnant. And uh, I did I did some recent grocery shopping and I bought the wrong ice cream and I got home and it just wouldn't stand. And so I'm sitting there and apparently, you know, my wife hates Neapolitan. Do you guys hate Neapolitan? No, it's fine. You got best of three worlds. Oh, exactly yeah, there. it's fine. It's an Anderson family favorite. What a real piece of work my wife is. She acted like I... <laughs> Shat in a carton and handed it to her. And so I had to go, I had to go run back out, just get some ice cream. I, I, you know, I covered myself up like a, I've been doing this get up where I have a mask and then I have glasses and then I've got my, um, I've got that hat. You guys might've seen. You look like the invisible man. It sounds like you're the invisible man. (laughs) I've also, I've got that, you know, I've got that, uh, that great outdoors, John Candy hat, which has the, the ear flaps. And, uh, I put that on. It looks incredibly stupid. I take pride in how stupid I look. And uh, ran back to the store, got some fucking Ben and Jerry's and uh, came back. Anyhow, the reason I'm telling this story is that on my way home on the radio, that smell came on. That's a great song. Oh, 
Okay. All right. It is. It is. Very good. Very good. Eric, I'm telling you, if you listen to it, there is some some guitar noodling that cannot be beat in that song. Yeah. And the Nazis had really nice uniforms as well. They they were really spiffy. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm glad John Merrick enjoyed his time at the grocery store today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So moving on, 1984, David Bowie is coming off his biggest album, Eric, his biggest album with Let's Dance. And so what does he do? He decides to rush another album out and he can't write when he's on tour and he was on a serious Moonlight tour. So he decides just to do a bunch of cover songs, uh, have Iggy Pop write some songs for him, and then write two new songs. Give me more details about the Tonight recordings. Yeah, you're pretty spot on. Um, he, uh, yeah, when he got back, I mean, their label was like, "Man, you are hot, Bowie. We are ready for more. We're, we're ready for more." Um, it's kind of like up to uh, history. We'll never really know if this album was forced on Bowie or if Bowie forced it. He does have, there is a quote where he said, I wanted to keep my hand in it, so to speak. So Bowie kind of like knew he was hot and he, he had to hit while the iron was hot, you know? So, um, it was, uh, it was rushed to a certain degree, but he spent twice as long recording this album that he did less dance. So, uh, like this one took five weeks. I think let's dance to three. So, the process wasn't rushed, but um, it definitely was. Um, it, it wasn't as thoughtful as Let's Dance, uh, I guess we can say. Um, so he had. Uh, who 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 produced this bad boy, Derek Bramble and Hugh Pagna, pa- Pagnum? Correct. That is... Do you guys know anything about those, uh, those fellows? Derek Bramble was a bass player in a funk band. I want to say he kind of wanted to do like another Nile Rogers situation here. Um, God, I can't remember what band he was in, but he, he essentially was in another kind of funk band. And uh, Hugh, Hugh Pagdom ended up like following this up his next album. He produced, I mean, Apparently he always wanted to work with Bowie and this was his, this is what he got. He got tonight, but he followed it up with Phil Collins, no jacket required. So Hugh got a big hit after this one. It just sounds like he, uh, you know, we always call this uh, David Bowie's Phil Collins phase, or if we don't always call it, that's what it was. But it sounds like uh, an old Bowie set the trend for Phil Collins. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Um, So, what happened was uh, he had a band, just some some random people that he was jamming with, and they showed up with three demos, two two of which were thrown out, but one was Loving the Alien, and that's kind of where it started. Um, turns out he didn't have a lot more material in him um, because he brought Iggy Pop on to co-write or just straight up cover uh, half the album and then he did other covers and I think there's maybe maybe one more that's a that's a Bowie original um, and I think a big part of this too was Iggy Pop was on the skids he was he was not enjoying the success that Bowie was enjoying and um, 
it has been looked at like Bowie did him a solid with this album uh, because the royalties alone were like a year's paycheck for Iggy Pop just right out right out the gate. Um, so this album really did help Iggy Pop, uh, regardless of its success or not. Yeah, the, he didn't play any instruments on it. Bowie didn't. Um, Carlos Alomar came back to the fold. Uh, he toured for Serious Moonlight, but he wasn't on Let's Dance, but he was on this one. And he helped, you know, some of the songs that were originals, they helped come up with them. Uh, while they were demoing it, they didn't even have names for some of the demos. They just had like tape one, tape two, tape three. Right. And um, I, I apologize. I had to run upstairs and deal with my kid real quick. I don't know if you mentioned it, but apparently those demos were, uh, this is all, you know, armchair quarterbacking, but apparently the, the demos that we didn't get to hear become real songs were with the, were some of the real, real cooking was being done that uh, we missed out on. So that is true. I didn't, yeah, I didn't see it. I actually like tried to do a search, an internet search for the other demos and I could not find them. So. Yeah. Uh, Dave Bowie even said that as far as not playing any instruments on this one and kind of just being like, we got to, you know, get, get, get something out there. Well, well, my name is still at the top of the charts. He, he said that uh, I very much left everybody else to it. I must say, I just came in with the songs and the ideas and how they should be played and then watched them put it all together. It was great. I didn't work very hard in those terms. I feel very guilty about it. I did five or six pieces of writing, and I sing a lot, and Hugh Padgham and Derek put the sound together between them. It was nice not to be involved in that way. I've got <laughs> to a point that I really wanted to get to where it's really an organic sound, and it's mainly saxophones. I think there's only two lead guitar solos on it, no synthesizers to speak of, though there are probably a couple of twing sounds or something. It's really got the band sound that I wanted. The horn sound. So, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll take these horn sounds and he'll he'll bring yeah. those horns right in. That's bullshit. Yeah. There's there's synthesizers all over this damn thing. Yeah, if, if it's not synthesizers, I don't know what a synthesizer is. Maybe he was uh, talking about. I I okay. I'll I'll revisit that. But um, the uh, he did bring back um the Borneo the Borneo horn group. For yes. This album, the Borneo is, horns. Well, I mean the whole. We got David Bowie in the vocals. We've got Derek Bramble on guitar and guitar synthesizer and, and synthesizer. And, and bass. And bass. Yes. Carlos Alomar on guitar. Omar Hakim on drums. Carmaine Rojas is back on bass guitar. Mark King on bass guitar on tumble and twirl. Rob Yale playing the Fairlight CMI, which sounds to me like a car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Guy St. Ongi on the marimba, uh, Sammy Figueroa on the percussion, Tina Turner on Tonight, Iggy Pop backing vocals on Dancing with the Big Boys, uh, Robin Clark backing vocals, George Sims, Curtis King backing vocals, and then, yes, the, Bore Borneo. the Bor Borneo. Borneo Horn Group. Yeah, Borneo, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I haven't had a drink in weeks since starting the show. Uh, I got my, I'm like a reverse uh, Barney from The Simpsons. Oh man, what is wrong with you? I I am dealing. I'm tr trying to pretend like I wasn't on a day drunk today. Uh, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, but anyhow, no. So that's that's the lead up, and you know what's you know, that's funny about all this is that 
as on Let's Dance, uh, uh, old uh, one name we haven't mentioned tonight at all is old Tony Visconti is nowhere to be seen. He's far, far, far away. Oh, he's and, pissed. He was pissed about Let's Dance. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think part, uh, and I have some tapes here that I discovered. Um, my Mark mentioned that this game sounds a lot like the Monkey Island, or I'm sorry, this album sounds like the Monkey Island games. And there's a reason for that. Uh, the, the, David actually was inspired by a meeting he had with Tony down in the Caribbean where he tried to mend things over. And uh, uh, Tony was wildly paranoid at these times. And he recorded the entire conversation in case he wanted to uh, bring it up in a, a court case later. Oh, so, God, this has to be yeah. awful. Yeah. Okay. And, and, uh, t- and, and after David died, you know, him and Tony, they, they patched things up years ago. But uh, Tony started putting things on the Internet um, on eBay for charity that were related to David Bowie that he thought people might like. And he put this tape on the internet and I bought it for $49 on eBay. God, Here you God, go. God bless his sweet soul. Oh, what's going on here? There's a beach and there's all these chairs and people. What? No, I'm not feeling iry. I will take a pina colada though. That's fair. Holy shit! David fucking Bowie! I knew it was you! I knew it was you! I, I, I walk home, my, uh, I, my mail boy gives me my stack of mail, fan letters, fan letters, two tickets to, to Jamaica, uh, and two tickets to an all-inclusive resort, and I dropped my wife off in the room, I came down to the beach, and I, there's a note in our room and it says, we need to talk! And I said, who needs to talk to me? Who? In the back of my head, it's Bowie? And I said, nah, no, 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 no. He hates me. He kicked me out of his recording studio to work with Niles Rogers. And uh, I walked down here to the beach, and here you are. Tony, I am so glad to see you. I am the most relaxed I've been in years. Dave, you look good. You gotta, you you know, you got... Gain a couple of those cocaine pounds back. Uh, you got a uh, blonde hair. Yeah, that... look, look, look at this. Look at the sand in my hair, Tony. Look at how the sand just makes my hair feel so full. Everything feels so full tonight, don't you think, Tony? Aren't you happy to be here with me tonight? Oh, well, as I taste this drink, and it's delicious. It just tastes like. Uh, sunblock and and uh, a nice sip of seawater. It's just that's eh. that's that's the utopia that we're in, Tony. All the darkness we've been through all these years has led this world here, and what this is around us tonight is what I like to call the land of UB40. Uh, I noticed you saved that seat next to you. Uh, it's reserved. I assume you paid a pretty penny to reserve that. Can I? Can, is that for me? Can I? Can I take a load off? No. Ah! Oh, power play! Power play! That is for Tony. Have you seen The Lost Boys? Oh yes, the Diane Weist 
vehicle. Yes, I mean, we're both in Brooklyn. We know each other. I watch all our films. But I, that's that movie won't actually come out until 1987. But I suppose she said something about it being in pre-production. And, and you know how I am very fond of the saxophone player, correct? Any saxophone player? Sure. I mean, the movie won't come out until 1987, so I don't know if Lost Boys has a saxophone player. And, I mean, you, you know that, that myself, I am quite the saxophone player. And I was thinking for this album that even though I am probably one of the most unique saxophone players any of us know, we are going to take things to a more relaxing level. We're going to take things to the land of Tim Capello. Have you heard of Tim Capello, Tony? I... Maybe. I feel like you're trying to trap me here. All right, Diane Weiss told me about him. Tim Capello, sax virtuoso. He was the casting call for The Lost Boys. I heard he has a great scene in that movie, whenever that movie comes out, which is probably going to be years from now. Well, anyways, of course you know him. You're best friends with him. You're best friends with everybody. You're David Bowie. And who I am best friends with now, Tony... Are you ready for this? Down here tonight in this relaxing land, I have met and become chums with Tina Turner. Oh, you sly dog. <laughs> chums indeed. If I have Tina Turner, what else do I need? No, you got a hit. I mean, just bottle that and cork it. Wish I was a part of this album because I could get a little bit of that cork also, but hey. Yes, I'm not even quite sure why I invited you down here, Tony. Yeah, I, I mean, I, so, I assume po apologies are in order with that uh, the snafu that happened with Let's Dance. <laughs> uh, that's true. You know, this is, a, this is a very relaxing place. I, I think that inviting you down here should soften the blow. That, Tony, I don't plan probably on us making records together for maybe 15 more years. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Great. I, uh, yeah, I mean, hey, what else am I going to do? I'll go, uh, you know, produce some jam band records, you know, in the 90s. I, 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 yeah. Tony, that's why I brought you here, old friend. I did not bring you here to make you feel bad about the fact that I think we have nothing in common anymore. Uh, clearly, you think you're some kind of avant-garde spaceman that can... Uh, make math into music while I have my finger on the pulse of pop music and UB40 rhythms. And speaking of UB40, they need a new xylophone player, Tony. Well, I, I like I like hitting those chimes. I mean, I won't lie to you. I, that's that's that everybody, everybody knows it. You meet me once, you know it. Listen, your name isn't what it used to be. You're gonna have to try out. Audition. Ah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Listen, you always give me opportunities. I, I, I've hated you with a, with a writhing passion for a few years now. But I don't know, man. I always thought we'd grow old. We'd be best friends. I could be best man at your wedding whenever you get married again. I mean, these were all dreams I had. What are they, kaput? Well, no, I'm just saying that, you know, I want to know if you're good enough for UB40. I'm, I, I, honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I brought my pocket xylophone, so just tell me what you think about this. 
I mean, not bad, right? Ah, Tony, I've... I've heard... I've closed my eyes and listened to Coke commercials with more rhythm than that. Well, I guess we're in a different place again. Oh, well, top of the evening to you. I am out of here. Nobody has ever went to such lengths to be disrespectful to me. Oh. Tina, the plan worked. We've got ourselves a bingo. <laughs> um, uh, so. Oh, well, wait, hold on. Wow. Jeez, I, you know, I never thought you could hear the sound of a a cold drink burning someone, but we just did. That was something else. <laughs> oh, boy. Ah, well, I guess we should get to this album. Um, oh, yeah. So this, okay. this is tonight. Sorry. Tonight comes Sorry, tonight, tonight comes out tonight's tonight's uh, it's released by EMI in 84 and it sold well enough. Uh, it, again, it was off the, the heels of Let's Dance, and it was a quite a pop album. And Mark, do you have any overviews of the reviews of this record? I do, and uh, they were not kind. They had, it got a few positive reviews, but by and large, the critics were uh, befuddled by what was going on here. They uh, described it as an expensive quickie padded with lame covers. Um, the Guardian said... Let's Dance had its moments, but tonight, however, did not. Um, and then Bowie obviously distanced himself from the album, acknowledging that it was not one of his strongest efforts, and to Eric's point, always kept pointing to the demos where the magic was at. It was all of the overproduction that really just destroyed it. Um, but for the most part, uh, we got some 1.5s, we've got some 2 out of 5s, uh, we've got some Cs, so yeah, the critics were scratching their head and thinking, is this what's the sign to come? And kind of was. This was the first step uh, to a lot of critics and where Bowie probably needed to find himself by even getting further lost into Tin Machine. Only a couple albums removed from that whole disaster. <laughs> uh, and I... I... I um, just wanted to say also, like, Bowie did some, like, pretty creative retconning of his own discography later on when he would talk about this album. He's like, oh, yeah, this was basically my pinups, too, but, like, more violent. Like, it's it's all over the place. It's it's scattershot, which just means it's a mess. It, it, yeah, he tried to uh, he tried to put lipstick on a pig or maybe not quite a pig. We'll find out where our opinions lie tonight, as we discuss tonight. Starting with the first single, track one, Loving the Alien. was a bit of 
Loving the Alien, which opens up the album tonight. And I I find this song to be interesting because it's a uh, it's a strange song. It has an interesting vibe to it. I think it actually fits in quite well with the overall David Bowie I'm a Spaceman motif. And also I find it interesting as a lead single and an opening track as this song sets the table for nothing to come. It does not sound like any of the other songs on this album. If there's another album out there where all the songs sound like Loving the Alien, I think this album would be much well, more well regarded. Uh, what do you guys think? I agree with you. Um, I, I actually do like this song, um, and I would be interested to hear the demo version because uh, this is the only version that I've ever heard. And it's you could definitely tell that it's of the times. Um, but I, reading through the lyrics, which I'm sure Eric will give us a dissertation on, um, it, there's a lot of underlying messages that I feel that the production work kind of makes it seem a little bit more lighthearted. Um, when you're going into the song, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to get a sci-fi Girls from Venus love story, uh, but you get a song about organized religion instead. Um, the video for this, it reminds me of, you know, some German abstract expressionism uh, with a little bit of uh, New Order's true faith thrown in there. Um, I actually do. I mm, I yeah. do enjoy this song though. I think it's uh, I think it's a pretty good. I think Bowie actually has some really good vocal performances. Um, the second yeah. build up in the chorus reminds me of the work that he does on the Labyrinth soundtrack, and uh, that comes in two years from now, I think. Um, but I actually do like this song. It's it's not bad. Yeah, I I, I do have to say it is. A, I think it's a strong opener. I do like this song quite a bit. I didn't know. I, you know, the song's always been one of the names I knew. I mean, they even named the 80s box set Loving the Alien after this song. Um, I wasn't that familiar with it. I actually ended up yeah, listening to it quite a bit. Um, Dave, Bowie did say that, like you said, the demo was better in his opinion. But, and, he, and, and apparently the production that we hear, he thinks undid the power of the song. And he prefers the demo version. So I might, I might try to dig that demo up if it's out there. But, I mean, as far as what we get to hear, like you said, there are some good vocalizations, some good buildup. Um, definitely, you're spot on with saying that the Labyrinth soundtrack, which I can't wait to talk about one day, there is definitely some parallels with that style of vocalizing he does there, especially where he carries some notes in the uh, the second chorus. And uh, I, I really, you know, it does sound pretty 80s, but I, I am a big fan of the bass line, just the doom, 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 doom. Um, it's really simple, but I like the, the bass tone in it. And also, uh, something that, uh, they layer over the bass line at times is, is that a, uh, is, is that a xylophone? Is it uh, some kind of cartoon? That's, oh yeah, you know absolutely. What I'm talking about. It's, maybe that's the marimba. I don't know, um, but it definitely, yeah, Possible. it definitely sounds like xylophone. Someone's tickling the bones. Yeah, so if it's not if it's not a steel pan drum, I have a hard time <laughs> discerning what any of these UB40 instruments are. <laughs> um, speaking 
Speaking of UB40, when I think of UB40, I think of one of my best friends, Eric Anderson, who has not chimed in yet on this opening track. This song is, um, it's a home run. It's, this is a, this is a great song. Um, Bowie uh, apparently also thought it was a great song um, because this was the only demo that they used in this album. Um, uh, yeah, this is demo number one. I can't find it anywhere, Steve. So good luck. If you find it, please send it my way. I'd love to hear the uh, unbridled version of it. Um, I think this this is an I, if there was ever a debate about if dated production hurts a song, I think this song would be a good um, specimen for that debate because uh, or subject for that debate because his lyrics are top notch. They are in line with stuff he would do in Heathen and Black Star, like this 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 kind of idea of religion as power and cor- corrupted power. Um, his lyrics are top notch. Yes, the music sounds 100% like 1984. Um, there's synth, there, you know, the guitar has this echo on it that you cannot find uh, before the 80s or after the 80s. And I mean, <laughs> if you look at if you look at Bowie's like like just li- listen to Scary Monsters, that has no date to that out al- that album is 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 evergreen. That, that he can do timeless. This is very much you know, time stamped 1984, but it's still a powerful, powerful song. I, I, I think what, it, after listening to tonight, so many goddamn times over the last week or two, this song has atmosphere, which I can't say about the rest of the songs on here. It has atmosphere mm. and that yeah. may, it, it, the song can breathe. The instruments can kind of do their thing and he can sing and he, and he does vocal work on this song. That is fantastic. He is, he, he he is singing to the rafters and he knows it like he knew he had something special with the song. And um, I almost I, I almost think like when all is said and done, if the rest of the album, I'm not saying the rest of the album is shite because there are some other good moments, but he's probably very happy that this song found its place somewhere. Um, it is about organized religion. Uh, apparently, like. He wore a cross ever since Station to Station, but he did it more like a chaos magic, not so much religious. He wore a cross because he thought it was a good luck charm. Um, but after looking at how religions fight and kill each other over throughout history and really thinking about it, he almost like was ashamed of having that that symbol. And that kind of sparked his his uh, dive into this subject matter. Um there's uh there's some great some great lines you know he's talking a lot about Christians and Muslims fighting over the ho- holy land um torture comes and torture goes just like the um banality of 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 extreme violence when it comes to religion um he does a lot of references to Richard the Lionheart um and those that are mirror blind or 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 basically like when you you know when you're religious you're not reflecting on that history and that hypocrisy um hold on eric eric can you stop yeah for a second richard the lionheart the uh, the basis for the fantastic early 90s jean-claude van damme film <laughs> did that movie have its own bassist <laughs> <laughs> oh sure you said, did it all... oh, you said basis i'm sorry i thought you said basis, basis yes oh my god and then uh, yeah 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 one of the one of the greatest final battles from that era of uh, your blood sports and your kickboxers uh, 
There's yeah, Lionheart. I think, I think we should. I think we should should clear the floor a little bit to talk about our favorite Van Damme movies. So go ahead, Steve. Was that Lionheart? Is that your favorite? Uh, now that well, now now I got to think about it. What's yours? Uh, let me let's let's ask Mark. Mark, uh, no to run or movie. Time Cop, one of the two. Or what was the one that he? Yeah, uh, he did oh, one with God. Dennis Rodman, right? Uh, is that Double Impact? Yeah, that was a sudden impact or double impact. No, I actually know and himself. Double That's impact right. is him. Yeah, and himself as a twin. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Rodman's in one of his movies, but no, Eric, yours is going to be. I can already tell you because you like the the. The, the the sequels that are actually good. You're a Universal Soldier. Guy. Oh, I'm a Universal Soldier boy until the day I die. And those sequels, yes. David Lynch could have produ- could have directed the fourth Universal Cop movie. Just telling you, it's amazing. <laughs> this you go in time. Universal is Cop. Ron Silver uh, in that Universal one too? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Universal, <laughs> Universal Soldier. Universal Cop. Well, I'll probably actually, I really, Lionheart has a place in my heart. I really do enjoy that film. It is it is total every cliche of that B grade action Street Fighter type movie from the late 80s, early 90s is in Lionheart. Um, but I also have a warm spot in my in my heart also for a sudden death. The one with the. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like Die Hard in a hockey ring. And uh, Mark <laughs> and I did. watched that one together at his house. That's why I, I like that one a lot. Very good. Very good. Old, good old John, John Claude Van Damme and, and uh, his late career resurgence where he pokes fun at himself is something that I enjoy. So good for him. There are a few lyrical things I just want to mention because they're, they're really good. But like the chorus, if you, but if you pray, all your sins are hooked upon the sky. Pray and the heathen lie will disappear. Just basically like this, this idea, this whole like competitive, the, the, the religions are competitive against against the, those that don't believe in the same God. Um, and then in this, like Jesus is an alien. Like that's, he's not so much doing Major Tom. He's doing like this idea that people are are praying to this alien with the supernatural powers, um, which I find interesting. And then the whole verse too is about times not changing um, since the crusade. And even though the crusade was, you know, thousand years ago, thousand plus years ago, there's still this fight over belief happening. Um, it could be argued that, um, you know, it's, uh, being a, a, a rich white guy that's bouncing around globe hopping. He may not have the best perspective on the like Gaza strip, the Jerusalem battle, um, between Muslims and, and Jews. That's, you know, that, that may be a fair comment, but there's enough in here that's more about the crusades and history that really gives it depth. So I, I, I think that's, that's, you know, uh, looking over some of the reviews of this particular song, there was some, some criticism, which I think there's a, there's a point to that, but not necessarily fair. Um, this, this song is a lyrical uh, juggernaut. Uh, I'm a big fan. A little remix roundup, just to, just to mention them. Um, there is an extended dance mix of this song. Um, it takes that baseline you're talking about, the dancey parts that happen here and there, and just makes them bigger and extends them a little bit longer. There's also a, uh, a dub version, and there's a dub version for half the songs on here, which is a sign that your album's not very good when you have more remixes than you have actual songs on the album. Acknowledged. But I kind of like what, <laughs> what Bowie does with his dub versions on this because he does dub a different way. 
it starts out with just bare bones instrumentation, no drums and vocals. And it goes for about two minutes. It goes for about a verse. And then the drums kick in and then it gets into some like crazy echoey uh, dubbed out shit. I mean, listen, I already like this song. It's kind of, it was kind of fun for me to listen to the remixes of it. Um, in the 2000s, some DJ named Scumfrog remixed this and This Is Not America. Um, and not, I mean, it's very, very much like we were talking about hotel bar uh, house music. That's, but hey, it's out there. You can find it on the streams if you're interested. Good for Scumfrog. All right, so we've loved the alien, alien, and now we're going to head to track two, where we don't look down. So the song was recorded in 1984. It was originally written by Iggy Pop for his album New Values that came out in 1979. This version definitely is a product of the year it was recorded. And I haven't heard production this plastic until I listened to David Bowie's next album called <laughs> Never Let Me Down. The Production on this track really, really takes me out of it. And I think I think there are some good things going on in this track. Um, it's got a sense of drive. It's got a sense of uh, rhythm. It's got some some fun percussion work, but it just sounds too Casio keyboard for me. So a couple things about this this track. Um, the producer, uh, both producers, you had Bramble, who Gateway. actually played in a funk band called Heatwave. Yeah, yeah. And actually, Heatwave has a crazy story. If you ever look into it, um, they their first rhythm guitarist was stabbed to death. Their original bassist was also stabbed by his girlfriend and left blinded and paralyzed. And their lead singer was paralyzed from the neck down after an auto accident. Like, Heatwave was a definitely a cursed, a cursed band. Um, and then... Their their other producer Hugh Pat Padam was uh, produced right before this one produced the Police's Synchronicity. Um, so Bowie definitely was like, "Oh, you get the reggae, you get the raga, man. I get it, I get it." And and yes, Bramble could do a reggae bassline, which uh, if you remember when we talked about, um, yeah, Assassin or. Um, some of the earlier reggae dabblings that Bowie did. He had the, the British musicians had to teach the black musicians what this new version of ska reggae was. So 
he was very happy that Bramble, um, you know, could do it on the spot. Uh, it is so plastic. You're absolutely right, Steve. This song is, uh, is a little bit of nonsense, but I'm not going to say Bowie doesn't know how to sing to this music. He is, he, you know, he, uh, <laughs> I don't look down. Like he knows exactly when to hit his vocals between the guitar upstrums. Yeah, he knows exactly when to do it. Um, the song itself is not a deep song at all. It is about just basically just being enamored by the ethnic communities in your big city lifestyle. That's what Iggy Pop... And this, and Iggy Pop's album, this was on, came right after Lust for Life, right? This was like after they split ways after Berlin. This was the first thing he did. Uh, what? Yeah, New Values? Yeah, it came out in 1979. And um, one of the Stooges came back and worked on it with him. But yeah, that was a that that was the post. Central Parker and time. You always heard that crazy sound. Thought it was something else. When I hear that crazy sound, I don't look down from Central Park to Shantytown. I always hear that crazy sound from New York to Shantytown. And that's about as deep as it gets. Um, the the original the original one's a lot more Iggy Pop-ish, obviously. Uh, it, it's a lot slower, kind of woozy, to bring back a Mark's description of some of the Stooges songs. It's a woozier version. Well, it doesn't sound much like this at all. No, no. The original one, though the lyrics are equally as shallow, the original one at least sounds like somebody is on the streets walking around. Iggy Pop was you very, what, he had an authentic sound to that. Um, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, and yeah, I guess shallow, you could say shallow. I don't know what word I would use for it, but when these lyrics are sung by Iggy Pop in a different venue, they carry more weight to them, even though they're the same exact words, I feel. Yeah, well, Iggy Pop's whole thing was like, he's not a cerebral singer. He is in the streets, he is in the gutters, and this is what he's seeing, and this is what's affecting him. It, that's why the delivery makes sense. I don't know, Mark, I don't know how you yeah. feel about this, but like Bowie is a cerebral lyricist. He is a cerebral singer. So when he sings about something like this, it just kind of, it just doesn't, it just is, is, two inches deep i don't know well, yeah well also yeah did when iggy pop is singing a lot of the times it's the feel of the words not exactly the words uh with david bowie who's an incredible singer you do focus on the lyrics more uh, half the time you can just because you can hear them better and uh that's why they stick out like a sore thumb when they're uh, you know they, they seem like they were jotted down on a a cocktail napkin right um you know, i'll give this this song it is kind of like a stuffed song it's kind of cluttered it's kind of not everything has a lot of room to breathe. Um, this one, though, I do also. This is another one where I like, even though the bass tone is is 1984. I do like the bass line in this track. Sure, um, I'll give it that much. It's a solid bass. It's a solid reggae bass line. Um, but while the Iggy Pop one once again had a little like just kind of scummy urban rock sound, this is like fucking Weekend at Bernie's too. Um, just, 
just once it once once the marimbas hit, you've got Bernie just dancing towards that treasure. Well, he's kind of dead right now. We go back to the morgue. We get the body. We go to St. Thomas. We take Bernie to the bank. So they're packing him up. I think I'm gonna sit down. Thanks. Get in there. And heading for the islands. But they're about to discover... Raise this man from the dead. He will lead you to where he has hidden the money. ...that Bernie Lomax is more popular than ever. Two guys, they're taking Bernie. Bitch! Get out of Dancing towards that treasure. Mark, what do you think about you know, this? But, you know, but before I let Mark speak, <laughs> what's funny about that, what's funny about that, though, is, is like, I'll rate this album at the end. And even though it's so UB forty ish, like it goes down so smooth that sometimes maybe you're in the mood for that and it's not terrible. But uh Fair enough. Mark, what do you what do you, what do you think about Don't Look Down? Um, some of the phrases that you guys have already been using, I I think it's wild that I also through this album I did find uh, uh a lot of comparisons and a lot of jokes were written around the uh idea of it being so close to a weekend at Bernie's. Um <laughs> also um, so I, nice job, Eric. Um, and then in terms of the plastic sound, uh, I mean, in the 1970s, especially with, uh, the album Young Americans, uh, Bowie was really embracing the plastic soul sound. Um, and then here he's trying to invent a new genre called plastic reggae. And I just am not interested in, in that at all. Um, and I think, um, our friend over at, uh, pushing ahead of the dame said it best by, uh, Bowie seemed at a loss as how to interpret Don't Look Down, uh, settling on a sub Brian Ferry world weariness set to a carnival cruise line beat. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's a perfect uh, characterization <laughs> of this of this uh, song. Um, so I don't just yeah. yes. This music could totally be in a commercial for a fucking cruise line. Or it could be uh, <laughs> Donald and Mickey doing the doing the uh, cha cha dance down the uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly the back, yeah. <laughs> the, thing, the, the, the whole plastic soul thing. I mean, I think he was just basically saying white guy doing soul music. But that album, which I can't wait to talk about, which I know like the back of my hand, sounds very authentic to that um, genre of music. I think, you know, you got Luther Vandross on there. You've got the production is great. It's like you could you could swap him out and it could be a, you know, it could be a, a Luther Vandross album. Um, it, it Whereas you're totally right, Mark, the plastic reggae thing. This just sounds like UB40. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this is not not authentic reggae. This is this is the blues hammer. Of reggae. <laughs> now, 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 Steve, there is a moment in the song in the lyrics that is a throwback to our past. I don't know if Mark, I don't know how much this overlaps with Mark, but I went this morning to the cemetery to see old Rudy, Va Rudy Valentino buried. I don't know if our listeners know what that is, uh, who that yeah, is. Mark, Mark's been a, he went to the backdoor lounge a couple times. Right. Rudy, and, Rudy uh, Valentino was the, uh, the crooner. He would do Sinatra songs or Sammy Davis jr. Songs. And, We'd walk in in our suits and he'd be like, oh, my lawyers are here. And he'd usher us over to the table. And uh, he was in he was in the movie that I that I made. And I looked, I Googled Rudy Valentino and I saw a vinyl copy 
of a really young Italian teenager doing comedy songs. And I'm almost positive it's him. And I will send you guys the picture of that. But I, I feel like he was a thing. I don't know. But I don't, I don't know who 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 Bowie. I, I don't. Who, who I, Pop is I, I don't know. About. I think. I don't think the the Rudy Valentino from 1979 New York or Detroit or whatever is the same one that we were uh, amused by in 2003 in Sacramento. But maybe, maybe you never know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'm not amused by is this cover of God only knows that is the third track on this album. And I don't know how this one got through quality control. <laughs> Here's a listen. God only knows what I So that is a snippet of God Only Knows off one of the greatest albums of all time, the original, uh, uh, the Pet Sounds and uh, the Beach Boys album. Uh, one of the greatest songwriters of all time, Brian Williams. Quick editor's note. After further research, Stephen's claim that God Only Knows was written by NBC News anchor Brian Williams is actually incorrect. It was written by the Beach Boys' very own Brian Wilson. Okay, back to your regularly scheduled program. Sung by one of the greatest vocalists and multi-instrumentalists of all time, David Bowie. And somehow, all of those ingredients equaled one of the worst tasting audio soups I've ever heard. I am not a fan of this cover at all. I am disappointed by how bad this cover is. It should be a it should be a home run. It should be a slam dunk. It should be you went to the restaurant that you've been to so many times and you love this restaurant. You love this taqueria and you decide to try something different on the menu because at this taqueria you like everything else. So why won't you like what you decide to order tonight? But it ends up that you're not really a big fan of tripe soup. And that's what this song is. Not good. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. It's a boring version of the song. Um, and again, to hearken it back to lounge singers, this is what a lounge singer on a cruise ship would be doing. Um, it also reminds me like I could picture like a really bad version of uh, Dean Stockwell's character from Blue Velvet uh, doing this at One-Eyed Jack's. Uh, the string arrangement is really trying to save this version, but alas, it just doesn't do it. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's not great. Not great. So uh, a lot of people that Bowie worked with, including himself, consider this one of the best songs ever written. The, the Beach Boys, uh, Pet Sounds. I may not. 
not always love you But long as there are stars above you You never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you If you should ever leave me Song. Yeah, it's it, it's fantastic. The original one, I mean, I I love it. It's it's amazing. Um I'm a I'm a big fan of the original. Um and Brian Wilson has always said that the point of the Beach Boys was to be young forever. And it was just to capture that spirit of youth and um and run with it. So this song is very much a frantic teenage version of love, even though they weren't teenagers anymore when they recorded it. This uh, kind of a desperate, you know, like, but fleeting, like, I know I'm, I know I won't always love you like that, that kind of sentiment. And, um, but it became this big swooping song and just, just absolutely uh, a flagship song for that record where they were reinventing production. So good. Anyways, I, I'm just waxing poetic about the original song um bowie was a big fan and before he did this he produced ava cherry's version of this you guys listen to that i did not i feel like it's probably better sorry now but god only knows what i'd be without you if you should ever leave me um, it is better than this. She's she she she's got a great voice for this song. Um, I I'm not crazy about the instrumentation. It's more like harpsichord and like classical arrangement behind her singing. But she you know she does the belts it out fine. This version, um, I don't as much as I love the original. This one doesn't offend me. It is very just serviceable. Um, I do like when the strings kick in, there is this kind of like fake out moment where you think it's going to go somewhere huge and epic and it does it just doesn't, which is disappointing, but for a moment, it's exciting. <laughs> it's not a big, I'm not giving it a big recommendation. It's fine. It's fine. More, more so, I just love the opportunity to dive into the history of God Only Knows. Uh, do you guys know what uh, television show the original version was the theme song for? that big uh big love big love big love did you guys ever watch that yeah i did that was with our uh, friend yeah. of the show and may he rest in power uh bill paxton absolutely right yeah and that that show was great uh, and 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 it's great. also also another friend of the show harry dean stanton correct may he rest in power and the 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 show was some weird like uh, polygamy uh, looking into the history of Mormonism and the current like politics of Mormonism and also like had this super strong feminist message. It was a fantastic show. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that one. Gave it the rewatch uh, a couple years ago. But yeah, that, that opening, I never skipped the opening song. For that one. Yeah, just this version, man. This version of this song. They tried to layer in some backup vocals and some horn work too. Uh distinguish it from the original and also make this seem more grandiose than it really is. And it just, 
it 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 just it's it, it it just makes it worse. It makes an already bad situation worse. Uh, you know, to tie it back to the Monkey Island video games, this version of God only knows if I'm playing one of the Leisure Suit Larry games from the the 1980s and early 90s, whenever Larry's wandering around some some bad nightclub that has like one person on the stage singing and the bleeps and the bloops of that. Uh, that sounds about as good as this sounds to me. And that's on a Roland uh, sound card from 1989. It's just badness, bad, bad, not good. This cover. There you go. But let's follow this up with the title track tonight. Yes. Starring Tina Turner. This is uh let's let's take things in another direction here. So that is tonight. And this song, uh, I I I absolutely love this song. I love both versions of it. Um when we started listening to Iggy Pop more for the podcast, I had such a good time with the idiot that I cheated and went over to uh, Lust for Life. And I listened to that record quite a bit, and one I can't wait to talk about it on the podcast. And I absolutely fell in love with the original version of this. So I was already cheating. And actually, I don't hold myself to the strict rules that Mark and Eric do uh, in many aspects of life, including how we do our podcast. Well, and hold I, on. Hold on. I, I, this would be an exception. While I haven't listened to Lust for Life all the way through yet, I'm waiting for Heroes for that. I did listen to this so I could be more okay. informed yes. about this. Right And that's that's not cheating. What I'm saying is that I then took my cheating one level more. Months ago, I was listening to this album tonight because of the other version of tonight. And so I am very familiar with the David Bowie and Tina Turner version of this song. And I absolutely fucking love it. I love every aspect of it. I love on this track. The Monkey Island music works for me. Uh <laughs> The over-the-top sentimentality of it works for me. I think the performance is beautiful. I think I think they both... It's not their best work, but I think they do a great job singing together on this. Um, I'll, I have more to say about it, but I'll, I'll let you guys talk a little bit. Uh, coming out of the gate, though, I'm a big fan of the title track off tonight. That's interesting. It, it took me a little bit to, to 
be okay with this one. Um, it uh, has that kind of plastic reggae Casio keyboard thing. Um, and my notes basically say set sail to Monkey Island. Um, lyrically, it's very close to Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> so again, coming back to that. Um, but, what, but what really uh, did help me uh get into this song was the music video that live performance that tina turner has and then david bowie comes out in his little suit um and uh, then you got uh timothy capello from lost boys thrusting i mean the camera is right up in his crotch as he's thrusting away it really it really they really position the camera underneath crotch cam. his, his crotch it's amazing <laughs> um that's uh, so uh, that <laughs> actually made me appreciate it because watching uh the sheer joy from the two artists of tina turner and uh david bowie just really having a good time it made me kind of shake loose some of the negativity that i felt about um because i mean it, it is just like geared to be piped over the pa system at a club med resort <laughs> Yeah, oh it is very God. cheesy. It's it's very cheesy. But I mean, to Mark's point, let's talk about that video a little bit. It is incredibly cheesy. This song wears its heart and its sleeve. And the video is from a Tina Turner tour. And she takes the first verse and it's only her on stage. And then <laughs> and then when it comes into the second verse, David Bowie sneaks up into a staircase behind the whole band elevated and a spotlight hits him. And he starts singing. The audience goes wild. And Tina Turner does like a double take and looks at him and points at him. And uh, he's wearing a white suit and he has Gary Shandling's haircut. <laughs> so, and then they sing at each other and then they get close and they sing towards each other. They get about as they almost get as close as David and Mick do in the Nancy <laughs> in the Street video, but not quite. All right. <laughs> and I just I think it's really earnest. I, I appreciate its earnest. There is some history to Bowie and Tina Turner that I, we need to talk about a little bit um, that uh, he basically, you know, like her, what's love got to do with it on um, that was her big comeback. And obviously they later in the nineties, they made a movie about it. Um, but he uh, ushered her into EMI and he gave her, basically he helped her get that record deal. Not that she needed it. She's obviously a legend, but you know, even legends fall off and they don't know where their next deal is going to be. He brought her in to that. And, um, and yeah, there's some great, so like, yeah, that, that, that live video is great. They have another one where they do let's dance together. Um, uh, their voices are awesome together. Um, her own music on what's love got to do with it is much more intense and edgier and engaging than I think she does than this, but that's a story for another time, I guess. But um, this is 100% the the Monkey Island music. This is, um, you know, you're waiting in line for Pirates of the Caribbean and the, you hear the marimbas and uh, everyone's gotta be all right. Um, it even has like that just chill, chillax lyrics. However we would be remiss not to talk about what the song is actually about. And the verse that they cut out of the beginning, the song, the Iggy pop song has this whole, like, it's like a oldies. Um, you guys know that song leader of the pack, like talking, Oh, I loved him, but he died in a motorcycle act. Like this whole spoken word intro about a tragedy. 
the song starts with that. Yeah, the the, the song the song has a a completely different. And this, this goes back to our you know Iggy's delivery versus David's. But in this case, yeah, David just he 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 was even self aware enough. He's all I can't. You know the 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 prelude to the song is about a guy finding his girlfriend Odine and dying, and it even talk he's talking about I found her she was turning blue yes and uh, somehow on the it sounds romantic when he's singing it and a lot of that's because the backup vocals um, and that you know David and Carlos Alomar were on that track on this version David Bowie thought that's not going to cut it for what I'm trying to do here he ex he just cuts it out completely and. Um, you know, then it then it, the whole song just becomes like a you know, instead of like hold on, baby, you're dying, but just this last your last night on earth. Let's just focus on you know everything's gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay, man. This version of it's a well, my darling, isn't this the greatest night of the world? Everything is okay tonight. It definitely <laughs> yeah. has a whole different vibe. It's to like it. you'll never see me again, but you love me tonight, and that and I love you tonight, and that's that's what Bowie's version is. The original one's like. You're dying and I am going to hold you as you're dying. And I'm going to, your last moments on this mortal coil are going to be love. And then I'm going to move on. Then we're, then we're over. Then we're broken up. <laughs> your death is our breakup. The original one is very dark, very dark. Um, I don't take, I don't, I don't see that darkness. I don't see the breakup part. I think it's more in the moment. Personally, I, when I, when I hear that it, it, he's comforting someone in the moment, I don't think, uh, there's any kind of hint that the idea of uh, then and then I'll be done with this is in, no, in the delivery. That, no, that's, that's just that's, me. That's that's fair. But and part of me, I, I, I that original one I find to be a very just uh, sadly romantic song. I really, really like the original quite a bit. Yes, it's um, very good. It, I would recommend yeah, anybody Mark, listen to the, that original. It's fantastic. Yeah. No, did you listen I, to the original? I'm going to have to now. I mean, um, as a just a. Uh, uh, just to get it out of the way, I, I didn't listen to any of Iggy Pop's versions of these songs, uh, but I, I absolutely am very curious to see the original in action. Yeah, I think you'll you'll be very impressed with it. And also, uh, the live version from that tour he did with Josh Homey is really good. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I like this very cheesy Monkey Island song, but it is... I don't... I mean, I also like... Um, I like microwavable burritos, and I'm going to bring up, uh, I guess, food again, and Mexican food to an extent. I like, uh, I, I, I can eat microwavable burritos from the freezer all day long. They are not good. They're not good for you, but that doesn't mean I don't like them. That's the same way I feel about this uh, this this version of the song tonight. Fair enough. Uh, this one had two remixes. It had a vocal mix, um, which uh, really is just half the song is just Tina, Bowie, and marimbas and steel drums. So if you like those parts of the song, <laughs> that's half the song, and then all the other instruments come in. That's the vocal mix. The dub mix is um, has full instrumentation and just less dy dynamics um, than even the original. 
This is one uh, situation where the dub mix does not do justice. And then, of course, the live version with Tina. We've already talked about it. Maybe the best version of the song. Yeah, then I, I do anybody. I, I think it, it's worth your four minutes to watch that video. It's it's everybody in that video is having a great time. Uh, it's the David Bowie's dressed in a, a white tuxedo. <laughs> so many bad decisions that man made in the 80s. It's incredible. But, you know, as bad as the decisions he made were at times, almost everything we're talking about tonight is not boring to me. And um, you can't say the same thing about like, you know, Tin Machine. So sure. Oh, God. Next, we have Neighborhood Threat. And I would love to take the lead on this one, Steve. take it so neighborhood threat also another song off less for life and i think that it does not nearly have the same effect that uh this cover of a song off less for life does eric what do you think Oh boy, Neighborhood Threat. Neighborhood Threat is a song off, yeah, you're right, Lust for Life. It was written where you're like, it's this anxiety. You're, 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 you're feeling like an outsider in your own neighborhood and it's kind of giving a, a voice to your neighbor's anxiety about you being around. Um, and my God, when and Iggy Pop's version is a rock song. It's a good song. I like it. It's completely passable. Bowie's song is, all right, you know that moment in West Side Story when they're just snapping sharks and jets? It's an excellent intro. Like that, yeah, that's this song. Like whatever street cred the original has, this one is just turned up to 11 as far as like the stage performers go. And they are just, they're like, we're scary. We're bullies. We're neighborhood thugs and like doing backflips off the stage in their um in their spandex it is a uh, absolutely ridiculous ridiculous version of the song that being said it's catchy it's fast-paced and uh it's yeah it's entertaining even if you're laughing at it the entire time which i was uh i still listen to it every time it came on neighborhood threat so uh, my first uh, opening line to my notes when I first heard it, it was, uh, the heat is on. Um, this song grew on me after a second listen. Um, it, I do give it points for trying to do something gritty. This is kind of like a better version of uh, another Iggy Pop uh, cover that he did on the next record, which is uh, Bang Bang. Um, I also felt that it was a more stupid version of Cat People. Um, but for whatever reason, um, I actually gave it 
an okay. I gave it a thumbs up on this track. It's <laughs> it is like a Broadway musical of uh oh, tough guys are here. Yeah, I just I mean, if only it had the edge of Russ Tamblin. That's what I'm talking about. He does excellent shovel work in some black and white uh, musical, um, and of course. The shovel work yeah, that he pulls off on uh, Twin Peaks, <laughs> the golden shovels. But Stephen, tell us all about Neighborhood Threat. Where do you where do you land on this one? Yes. Uh, the, the original I don't like as much as I think the original is pretty good, but it doesn't kick my ass like the original of tonight. And both versions of it, uh, the cover is pretty forgettable. Um, the, the album's really this is a pretty ramshackle album. And uh, at, at, at this point, I really don't think they know what, what direction they're trying to go in. Um, yeah, the song tries to have like a sense of urgency to it that I don't think it really earns. And the, the worst part of it is I think the, the production of the drums is just really bad. Uh, kind of to the point where I think the drum production on this is almost as bad as Lars on St. Anger. Just kind of kind of sounds like rice bouncing yeah. off tin. Fair. It's, not yeah. yeah, not 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 very good. And uh, I kind of and, and I, I picture like on some of these songs where it gets really cheesy. Carlos Alomar, who I think is an artiste. I, I can't imagine what was going through his head in some of these songs when he was being forced to play some of this stuff. And this is definitely one of them. Sure. Yeah. And then and he was on the original, too, you know, and the same thing with tonight. You know, I wonder if he was just like, what are we doing, David? So. Well, all right then. That's all I got to say about. I, that's all I got to say about neighborhood threat. Best thing about it is probably the title of the song. I do like that title. It's a, it conjures something. It conjures a threat that you never really, never really get. Uh, the next track is one of the uh, the only other solo original written song for this album by just David Bowie, and that is Blue Jean. is up there with the you know when you think of david bowie's danceable singles like your uh um uh modern loves if you will i think you could put blue jean on the same mixtape you put modern love on for a, a good 80s pop song i think it's pretty inoffensive um i mean it, it it sets out to do something and i think it does it well as opposed to what some of these songs do uh it's a it's just an 80s pop song it's got some wild saxophone that I feel actually sit the, the fits. Um, Bowie's delivery on it, I'm okay with. I like the spoken word hushed verses. I really like it when he goes for the rafters and the the choruses with the blue jean. I I find that to be amusing. Inoffensive. So that's what I can. Inoffensive and pretty easy to get through. 
That's yeah. So I, I absolutely agree with you. It's a, it's a dumb, catchy song that isn't earworm. Uh, when you put it up, up against all of David Bowie's other singles, this is probably going to be towards the bottom of the pile. But with that said, I think that it is it's a catchy song. It's a really good uh, vocal performance by Bowie. He's going up high with the somebody send me. You know, you got that. Um, and then you've got him singing in the lower register. Uh, I can't help but sometimes jazzing for a blue jean uh, in my head. Uh, the punctuated horn blasts are a good time. It's got a little call and response action in the choruses. I'm a big fan of call and response anyway that you can kind of wedge that into a song without making it seem to stick out too stupidly. Um, the video for this, it's a 20-minute it's a video. Can't remember who the hell uh, directed it. Could be Julie, Julian Julian Temple. Uh, Julian Temple from uh, the uh, Absolute Beginners. Okay, all right. Um, and you got Bowie sitting in the audience with his girl, and you got Bowie up on stage dressed up as a uh, the Disney version of uh, the genie from Aladdin. Um, and uh, yeah, he's singing to the girl, trying to steal Bowie's girl. As I, I don't know what's going on here. Um, I do have, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, that video amazes me. I, um, yeah, 20 minutes long. And I was texting you guys a little bit today. Where that came from is I, I, this is some of my favorite. I love it when David Billy hams it up. He has a great sense of humor. He knows when a joke is bad, but he still leans into a bad joke. And this is just silliness throughout. And yeah, it said the guy meets the girl at the club. And I guess he kind of he he looks a lot like the star, and the star isn't David Bowie. Eric, do you know the name of the star yeah. that David Bowie also plays in this? Oh, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up and get back to it. Now, basically, he's trying to convince this girl that he's a he's as much of a good time as this rock star is, and you've got you know just just minutes of buildup of David Bowie trying to pick out what to wear, and he's talking to his friend that. Is doing coke while he's trying to try different clothes on, and the the guy, the, Dave Billy, eventually says, "I don't know what to wear." I mean, Roger, you know what looks good. What should I wear? And Roger says something to the effect of, "Wear what I'm wearing, because I know what looks good." And it cuts to him in Roger's suit. It's just, it's absolute silliness, uh, but I found it incredibly enjoyable, and it was. I think it's a, a for. You can dedicate 20 minutes of your life to watching that whole thing just once. Yeah, it's opinion. a fun video. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's just great to see Bowie playing nerd and cool kid in the same uh, same video. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Uh, this song would never make. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord, Lord, Lord Screaming Lord Byron screaming is Lord the name Byron. of the rock star. Yeah, that Bowie screaming plays Jay in. Hawkins, uh, <laughs> his cousin. Sure. Um, this song is fine. It is actually one of the more organic songs on that album. I don't know if you guys know what I mean by that, but like you can actually hear the guitar strumming. It doesn't it's not super programmed. The song feels pretty natural. Um, would not break my top 40 Bowie songs, but it is fine. It is a catchy little, little number. Bowie straight up has said, it's not about anything. It's a, it's his most sexist song. It's just about, it's just about 
uh, hooting at, at, at girls and trying to pick up girls. That's all it's about. There is no depth to it whatsoever, and he admits it. Still, fine, fine. Um, the uh, there is a extended dance mix version of the song. Um, pretty much every time there's a musical breakdown in the original version, that just this version just expands it more. Where you get like uh, toms and fills and bass. There's a bass drum xylophone like minute that is worth your weight in gold. You listen to it. But there you go. I've mentioned on this show before when there's extended remixes from this era, I usually think it's a waste of everyone's time. But due to the ridiculous instrumentation that's found on this album, I think I might need to dive into some of these remixes and see what well, you're talking about. Well, here's the thing is, is like, and it's not just me. It's like, if you look at reviews for these albums, ever the music is so like stuffed. It's there's no room to breathe for these songs. So sometimes these remixes are your chance to actually hear if there was even a good idea in the music, that's where you're going to hear it. They actually have a chance to flesh it out a little bit. I don't know. Maybe not. All right. Well, speaking of good ideas, I think lightning rounding these last three tracks is a great idea. The first of three is another Bowie and pop uh, gem. Jam. I don't know if we call it a gem. Tumble and twirl. There you have tumble and twirl. David Bowie and Iggy Pop wrote this while they were hanging out in the studio for this album. Uh, they were drinking. Many many anecdotes for this album bring up they were drinking beer at the time. I I don't know, you know, David Bowie at this stage in his life didn't really strike me as a heavy drinker, so that's no excuse. And I think that he he put the message out that he him and Pop were drinking at this time, so someone could explain away how banal the song "Tumble and Twirl" is. And I'm not buying it, David. Uh, you might be dead, but your lies—they're living on. And I know you can't blame a six-pack of Heineken. Probably is about as hard as you were going at this time. On tumble and twirl. Yeah, I mean, I prefer Power Station's version of "Some Like It Hot" a little bit better than what's going on here. Uh, this, <laughs> a couple things. Um, that's a good song. <laughs> uh, and does he say uh, "dusky mulatto"? Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Does. So that's strike two. He does. Um, he does. And then we also got a little bit of, uh, yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, when we, look, when we look back, maybe it's because we're we're analyzing the guy's whole career. Old David really never never consider him racist at all. Not saying that at all. I am not. But I do think that the guy he would never shy away from <laughs> a uh, you know a phrase that my grandfather might use. Yeah, uh, what's going on here? Um, and then uh, hold on. That's true. <laughs> but we also get a little bit of that Viva Variety little tongue roll thing going on. The yeah, 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 little Speedy Gonzalez thing. So, I mean, we're hitting all the um, 
all the races here on this one, aren't we, Bowie? Um, okay. So, yeah, this is uh, this is not a high a high mark on the record. Um, but yeah, I'd rather listen to Power Station, Some Like It Hot instead, which is Rob, Robert Palmer at his best. <laughs> Uh, all right, so if you look at what Iggy Pop and Bowie were writing about, uh, it comes from a it comes from an okay place. They were, you know, they're talking about just their adventures around the world in in um, you know smaller countries, but then just seeing the Western influence take over, the tourists take over. Um, uh, there's some lines I enjoy, like, um, uh, make the last plane come. Let me rise through the cloud above with a book on Borneo, even though he's singing about, it was basically like he's reading about the country he was just in because he never experienced it because he was surrounded by tourists the whole time. Like that's, that's the lyrical, like that's the punchline, which I appreciate. The song itself though, is that that uh marimba you know white boy white boy uh caribbean music that either works or doesn't work on this album and more times than not it doesn't work um that's what we're dealing with uh this is a forgettable one not a lot to say about it um there is an extended dance mix of it um, where they took out a lot of the backing vocals and it's mostly just bass and drums and uh, it's somehow more tolerable in my opinion. It's, it's, it's uh, less ag- aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tumble and twirl. Good, good for, good for tumble and twirl. Uh, we all agree. We, we, the, between the three of us, we'll probably never listen to that song again. And I'll probably never listen to the next song again which is inoffensive, but I've heard many, many versions of songs from this era done better. Uh, it's I Keep Forgetting. Keep forgetting you don't love me no more. I keep forgetting you don't want another. Keep forgetting that you told me that you didn't want me around anymore. But this stupid love just So, I Keep Forgetting is a cover of a Chuck Jackson song, which came out in 1962. And it sounds just like that. It's kind of a, you know, a, a skiffle, backstreet uh, rock song from that era. I keep forgetting you don't love me no more. I keep forgetting you don't want me no more. But for whatever reason, on paper, I love the idea of Bowie covering a song from that era. This song just seems just skippable and forgettable. It, it, it definitely does sound like a like that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like it could be a Sun Sessions song originally, but Bowie's approach to it. It's maybe the production doesn't help. Doesn't do it for me. No, that's. And I hate to I hate to be a Debbie Downer for the rest of this record, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, this is uh, I don't have a lot to say about this one. It is what it is. Um, it is uh, the original version is kind of cool. 
um, Bowie's version is. I actually like one thing I will take. I will give a positive to this. Bowie doing like his Elvis voice or like a Rocky Billy voice, I think shows a lot of promise. He's he's it's kind of you don't really get to hear him sing like that often and you won't again. This may be the last time he sings like that. It's kind of yeah, cool. kind of a shame. I, I would have liked a lot more of that. Now that I think about it, a, a Bowie covers album of uh, songs from the 50s and early 60s would have been a lot of fun. Right, right. Um, but the music is really just undercuts any good ideas here. It's not a great cover and it's completely forgettable. And uh, this album could have easily been an eight track album. Yes. And before we uh, have Mark or people, we just said, cause he will, I'm sure. I do want to remind everyone that uh, Eric just reminded me that speaking of which Glenn Danzig has an Elvis covers album coming out soon. And that will be good. Uh, no doubt. Um, so my notes for this is if anyone had the question is if Phil Collins decided to join Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, this is that answer. <laughs> we got some. Uh, the, I'm very, very yeah. proud of you. Very proud <laughs> of you got Mark. Some, the verses are definitely playing with the sound effect board. Uh, got some goofy moments that I'm surprised anyone in the studio was like, yeah, ship it. This is great. We're done. Just dusting the hands off. Just another fine day at the, at the factory, boys. <laughs> yeah, there are some Looney Tune sounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what are you going to do? Uh, oh, oh, boy. You're going to keep forgetting. That's what you're going to do. Because I'll... I, and even though we're describing this track, which... Sounds like it should at least be interesting to hear because it's so bad. It's very forgettable. And uh, we're going to close this record with a song called <laughs> Dancing with the Big Boys. <laughs> friends is in my top three favorite songs on tonight it's a ridiculous song it's a ridiculous song i wouldn't necessarily think that until i did my research and i looked at the lyrics but this is the only song that iggy pop shows up on to sing um apparently the only time bowie actually acted interested in this album was when iggy pop showed up and then he came alive. And this this is the only track that really captures that. The spontaneity of it. Musically, for the most part, it is just 84 nonsense. It's uh, just just uh, reverbed out drums. Um, horns bla blatting at you like a fucking dagger to your kidneys. <laughs> Guitar and guitar and bass doing their thing. But um, Bowie himself said that he's going after a sound that he has not captured. But this song was the closest he got to that on this whole album. 
is this new sound he was working on that he apparently never got to, which was just like a danceable, noisy, um, I don't know, cornucopia. Um, I, I think he tries to get there a little bit on Never Let Me Down again. I think this gets him close to Never Let Me Down. I think I think that's fair. I think it's fair. What I like about this song is what it's about. If you look at the lyrics, uh, something's going on in society. You chew your fingers and stare at the at the floor. One wrong word and you're out of sync. Talking about hands-on policy. Death to trees. They weren't bad. They weren't brave. Nothing is embarrassing. Dancing with the big boys. It's 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 like a um, you're like it's during Reagan's America, and you're being forced to conform to this like yuppie way of life. And that's what the song is about. And I think it's it's actually got more to say than a lot other than loving the alien than most of the rest of this album. Um, I don't know. I just, it's the only song that sounds like fun in this whole, this whole album. So I appreciate it. Uh, Anyways, dancing with the big boys. It's not a terrible song. Uh, You definitely have a little pop V Bowie action. It sounds kind of like a team up uh, right before like a fight montage in an eighties white gang movie. Um, you also get that low big boys, uh, this way of that Ferris Bueller song. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A uh, A friendly reminder that, you know, (laughs) um, uh, pop had that goddamn song. that's in all, not that one, but, uh, (laughs) exactly. He's a real wild one. (laughs) Oh yeah. uh, Um, but yeah. (laughs) Oh boy, the uh, the extended uh, vocal mix has way more of that vocal uh, effects that you like there, Mark. Yeah, I recommend you um, check I'll that have out. to. big fan of yellow i I might as well Um, it sounds like both you guys like this song more than i do it's i just maybe by this time on the album i'm just like all right what's next you know but uh, i am glad that eric was able to mine so much uh uh worthy discussion points from it so eric i'm glad you like it I'm i'm happy when my friends like things Hello, all you rude boys and rude girls. You are listening to the Pod Like a Whole dissection of tonight. And to accompany this album, we have created the perfect Island Party mix CD for you for three installments paid to our Patreon page, $19.99. You will receive a mix CD featuring UB40, Rusted Root, and other very soft takes on one of the softest genres. And uh, in addition, if you act now, you're gonna, you will get a nice rolled doobie. It's a little old and dry, it's from about 20 years ago, but you can do some fun stuff with that. Or if you just wanna kick your, your friends a little tip, um, 
during this uh, this time of, uh, of closure, you know, hey, you can always drop a few dollars in the uh, the old Patreon, um, or not. Uh, we, it's, if you can't feed our tummies, you can feed our egos by making an iTunes review um, or posting on our Facebook page telling us what do you think about tonight. So thank you so much for listening, and why don't you uh, grab your best boy or girl and put those hands in the back DoorDash pockets. Slow dance. But he also did a couple songs for other things. Um, specifically, he did a song for the soundtrack, The Falcon and the Snowman. He did a song I called... Love, I, love, I love that movie name, by the way. The Falcon and no. the Snowman. Did you guys watch Starring. that? Have you guys seen that movie? Timothy, Hunt, Timothy Hunton and Sean Penn. No, oh. have you? Yes, yes. And I give it... I give it as far as like it, it being a Cold War spy movie... It's still pretty funny and pretty cynical. I think it is worth both of your time. I think you should check it out. Um, Pat Metheny, the Pat Metheny group does the score for the whole movie. And until I heard this song, I was sure they were just like music, like elevator music. I don't know why. I just thought they, because I can't, I actually like, not to sound annoying, but I did for a very small window of my life, I was a jazz musician. So like, Whenever I heard them, I thought it was like some kind of pre-programmed jazz. I had no idea they were actually a pretty good ambient jazz band. They're the backing track on the song and Bowie sings over it for This Is Not America. Um, let's hear a clip. I could have the idea for This Is Not think about the song yeah no i think this i mean i i think i've heard this song quite a bit um it's it's a song making a statement and i do think that the the backup music is okay um i'm not gonna go dive into the the catalog of the uh pat metheny group but it's for what they're doing i could you know i could see why uh, david Bowie thought they'd be worth collaborating with it's just not a genre of music i go after um it's like a step above smooth jazz but uh yeah the song's okay um this I, I i like the the urgency of the this is not america i uh yeah i do like the song fun. um it it seems that uh it could be a template for any um like U2 song. Um, I, I really like Bowie's vocal performance. Did either one of you watch the music video? Uh, Bowie's not in it. It's just film clips from This Is Not America. I think that's an official music video. I could be wrong, but that's my only uh, 
I guess, exposure to that film. And oh, Falcon and the Falcon and the Snowman. Yeah, what did I say? But yeah, Falcon and the Snowman. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I actually do like this song. I think Bowie has a really good vocal performance. You can't really find a whole lot of history about the the making of how these two bands essentially got together, but um, I think it's actually a pretty pretty good song. Um, I don't have anything really bad to say about it. Yes, it's it's not indicative of Bowie's full work but I do find it interesting. And just like Steve is saying that this is not America. No, um, that little line and Bowie's vocal delivery does get stuck in my head. So I give it, I give it some credit for that. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Mark. I, this is, this is, uh, to me, this is maybe the best song we've talked about tonight. Um, hmm. And I was actually shocked at how much I liked it. Um, we briefly mentioned it because Puff Daddy remixed it <laughs> in the heathen era. But um, going back and listen to this, uh, my wife, who uh, collects vinyl and has weird stuff, has this single. And I listened to the instrumental version first, and then I listened to the uh, Bowie version and I was pleasantly surprised. Like the Pat Metheny group was like doing a very good job of like subtly just lacing in a melody and just making a, a uh, ambient barely qualifying as jazz song with a little bit of drive. I, I, I thought it was cool. And um, they do do the score for the whole movie, which I have seen before and, you know, thought that was passable for sure. Um, this song I think is fantastic. It's about, uh, just feeling betrayed by your country and during, you know, the Reagan era and this, you know, being about cold war, it, it just kind of fits. Um, it's great. There is a, um, little piece of you, little piece in me will die. This is not a miracle for this is not America. Just some, some, some solid little, little lines of, uh, of stuff there. Um, there is a scum frog version of this, <laughs> which is fine. Um, also, and I'll mention him in a minute. Uh, Bob Clear Mountain does a remix of this. Bob Clear Mountain's whole thing was he would take a song and then make it as down to earth as possible. And so there is a version of this, which is even more like instrument based, which sounds, I, I, I guess, a little bit more natural. But um, I love this this song. I think it's great. I'm glad to hear you like it so much. That's great. It's fun when uh, you have a discovery that you're not expecting at all. And I wasn't expecting to be talking about Steve Zalian tonight, who wrote The Falcon and the Snowman. Uh, real quick, I'd like to talk about some of the other movies he's written. Steve Zalian, who is from Fresno, California. Ah. He, wrote, he wrote The Falcon and the Snowman. He also helped write, and I don't know if he's the the only writer on these following films or co-writer, but Schindler's List, good one. Clear and Present Danger, that's a, that's a great one. Mission Impossible, the original Brian De Palma movie. That's a, that's a good one right there. And uh, I think while I'm in quarantine, I'd like to revisit the Mission Impossible movies, all of them. Uh, he, he wrote with Aaron Sorkin, he wrote Moneyball. That's a great film about the Oakland Athletics. He wrote The Irishman, which came out last year. 
which is a great movie. He wrote many other movies, but he also wrote a movie that I've been watching recently during lockup, Gangs of New York. So uh, this guy's pretty talented. There you go. And uh, speaking of Gangs of New York, that movie is full of street toughs who have moves in the streets like you wouldn't believe. And you know who else has moves in the streets like you wouldn't believe? Mick Jagger and David Bowie as they're dancing in the street. Let's hear a clip. So that's a, is that dancing in the streets yep. or dancing? It's dancing in the streets, right? It's p- plural, correct? And this song is uh, a cover song. Who did the original? Oh, that's uh, what? Uh, Marvin Gaye? He wrote the original, but it was performed by. No, we're going to have you, uh, have to have you get in here and edit this, Eric Anderson. Sure, sure. Yeah, it was performed by somebody. Um, we're gonna find it. We're gonna we're gonna find it, and you're going to edit it. It was Martha and the Vandellas. Oh yeah, oh, Martha Re- Martha Reeves. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so this the covers whatever. Um, this song's all about. It's it has a notorious video, an absolutely ridiculous video. And I think that when we knew we were gonna do those podcasts, that we all couldn't wait to talk about. This video. Oh, um, this is definitely not the first um, time you guys have watched probably, this video. Probably. I want to say I, it was probably found at home on VH1 there for a while. Um, and they this this was might have even been on pop-up video, for crying out loud, if that takes you back. Um, oh, pop-up video is great. Oh, I yeah. love pop-up. I love pop-up video. This is a... This is, yeah, this is not nearly as good as the Van Halen version. And I'm serious. The Van Halen version is great. Uh, they wrote this song, I think, in a, or they, they recorded this song in a day, I believe. And wasn't it? I believe it was part of um, part of the whole Live Aid deal. Yeah. The, yeah. So and, here, here, here's the here's the history on that. Um, for, first of all, it was like uh, for those of you that listen to us regularly. We, we reference the pushing ahead, the Dame website, look up just this song on that website. It is a, it, there is so much great, great facts. Um, and it's hilarious. It's a, it's a hilarious read, but basically like, yeah, this is the year that all of the charity rock concerts were happening. And that would determine if you were a badass or not is whether or not you got, you got, you know, like you two made the cut, Tom Petty, Rolling Stones, like these, like these were the big bands that were defining the eighties. Um, and Bowie and Mick Jagger live aid happened on two separate stages across the world. And they, they thought they were going to perform this live, but they realized there was a satellite lag and they could not time it right. 
So they quickly recorded a video in six hours. And the song, I think they made the music for it in like a day. And then they recorded the video in six hours and they broadcast it live during Live Aid. So yes, it is tied to Live Aid. It did make some money for some hungry people, I'm sure. So as atrocious, I, I'm going <laughs> to say the song is atrocious, but it, it, it did some good. Steve, maybe you like it more than me. I know because it's just so it's so bad it's good. I mean, it's mainly the video. The the video opens up with Mick Jagger wearing some blue puffy thing, ah. and uh, and just he's like ultimate Mick Jagger, just making his faces and and just spastic. And then it pans up, and much like he did when he's introduced in the Tonight video, standing among above everything, David Bowie's like in a bunch of crates, and he's wearing a a beige duster with pants that are like early mc hammer pants it's, it's ridiculous and well, uh well, they... yeah and just to reference the pushing head the dame thing like bowie's kind of the robin to mick jagger's batman in this video like bowie somehow still seems cool uh while mick jagger is just an obnoxious just obnoxious <laughs> in this whole thing i don't I, I think everyone's having fun and i think you're you're being too hard on it. I think it, that they right. absolutely had to, they had to know how dumb this was. And they're they're walking up and down the streets. They're jumping up and down. David Bowie's doing the walk like Egyptian dance sometimes. Oh. There's scenes there's scenes where they do a Benny Hill thing where they <laughs> they both go uh it's it, you know, it's a shot down an alleyway. They go into two doors and they like peek their heads out and they kick their legs out while they're singing and it's Yeah, it's just Really, really bad. It's uh, it's so to me, it's so bad. It's good. There's they're they're jumping around in slow motion. It's it look it's really cheap looking. It's just uh, on every level. I can't believe that it 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 made its way out into the world, but it did. And uh, it's a strange, terrible thing. I agree with everything that you you said on only on one point. I think the only canon that I believe on for this song is the video version, where all the music was stripped out. And you hear the shoe squeaks and uh, whoever, whatever mad genius put that together. It is comedy gold. Calling out around the world. Are you ready for a brand new baby? So hat tip to that person that did that. It is so fucking funny. (laughs) Uh, I believe, I don't know. I don't know Mick Jagger's personal story nearly as much as David Bowie's. Obviously I'm fairly certain that David Bowie was clean during most of the eighties, but Mick Jagger sure looks like he's on some of the good stuff in this, even by his standards. I don't know. All right. So, so for this, I just going to go ahead and fully, uh, and we'll, we'll link to the, the article. I'm going to fully reference pushing head, the dames, uh, top eight moments of this video. We can kind of comment on them as we talk about them. Um, Jagger's dancing, especially in the opening verse, reminds me of one of Truman Capote's snark comments about Jagger. He's as sexy as a pissing frog. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yep. Number two. And and, 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 and 
just just for me like my like i actually unlike the beatles like the the stones were a big part of my growing up too my parents listened to them and their 80s stuff and all that and i actually like later in life went through a stones phase and listened to them so i appreciate them but there was a very annoying like mick jagger was very annoying in the 80s and 90s like there was a very annoying bit to him um and and this 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 is is proof in the pudding all right number two the choreograph the the choreography makes a bit more sense if you imagine each of them are pretending to duet with tina turner <laughs> i think like you I said it. i think yeah, you like said I it. <laughs> like i mentioned earlier there they they, they they tina and david didn't get as close as uh these two did uh a small charm is boys bowie's uh, role as foil. He's acting as a gawky fan who won an MTV contest to co-star with Jagger. Um, he's do- he's got dopey hand twirling moments and half-assed judo kicks, so he's just like happy to be there. Yes, I, I, I <laughs> definitely think that he they just want to get this done with. <laughs> uh, when Bowie sways his hips and claps himself and lip sync "Streets of Brazil." It's uh the worst maybe we're the worst moment of his performing life. Well, we didn't we didn't even bring up uh yeah, that's that, that's one of the things I've always remembered about this song is the uh Tokyo South America. <laughs> South America. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. <laughs> Sound like the fucking Animaniacs. <laughs> <Just> so- <laughs> oh man. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> All right, number five. Jagger had been a fashion casualty for years, so his sherbet green puffy shirt and purple caddy pants are just par <laughs> for the course. You'd expect better from Bowie, though, and he had a camouflage pants and an oversized raincoat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a bad look. Uh, all right, he number at least, six. He at, least, he at least got rid of the Gary Shandling haircut he had in the uh, Tonight video. I'll give him that. That's message. true. That's true. Uh, so number six is St. Vincent, uh, claimed on Twitter, Bowie and Jagger dancing in the street duet is the biggest anti-cocaine ad you could ask for, <laughs> which is like very said, funny. Yeah. I'm not sure if Bowie was on anything. He might've been, who knows, but old, uh, old Mick, or, or yeah, he sure looks like he's on quite a bit of few things. He's, uh, his face, uh, his face, his, his facial expressions managed to go in every direction at once. Uh, the Bowie uh, biographers claim he was clean as a whistle during this during this uh, phase. So you can't blame you can't blame the booger sugar on this uh, on this video. Um, after all the hard work Bowie did, this is number seven uh, in eighty three to eighty four, establishing. Oh yeah, so remember I talked about when we when we talked about Let's Dance uh, during the. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan era, Bowie seemed to distance himself from his um, kind of bisexual past. Uh, there is some real artwork in this al- uh, for this single that really just kind of goes against all that hard work he did to make himself a ladies man. So that was that was number seven, uh, especially Jagger's uh, uh, him and Jagger's synchronized ass wiggle. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, finally, uh, oh, the last one is a family guy reference that which I will refuse to repeat. So that's, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it. We let, let, you know, despite the fact that Eric's one of our co-hosts, we have standards on this podcast. 
Um, all right, so there were some remixes. There was a Bob Clearwater version, which tries to make it more organic sounding. Um, still bad. Um, a Steve Thompson one has an extended drum beat at the beginning, makes it more dancey. Um, still pretty bad, but the dub mix. Mark? Yeah, that's the one that I subscribe to. That that's actually pretty good. Um, it, uh, God, I, I'm not gonna go into details on that, but I will say that's the one I feel that gives this song a little bit more uh, because there's like a drum breakdown, if I recall, um, and then it, just the vocals at the beginning without all of the other nonsense. I mean, it's still a nonsense song, but that's the one I feel that uh, makes it a little bit more listenable without thinking like. They can't be fucking serious here, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 the uh, Christopher Walken version. It's cowbell. Yeah. Just keep in time for like a couple minutes as they start singing, and the music and the instruments start kind of ramping up. And then by the second half, it's the full song. But it's kind of cool to hear it build instead of just starting as a assault on your eardrums of the cheesiest music with Earl Slick, sorry Earl Slick, and then G.E. Smith from the Saturday Night Live band, shredding, and then the backup singers, and it's just like, just paint by numbers, nostalgia music. Um, that's that's what it is. Uh, the dub version at least gives you a little, a little cowbell intro before you get to that. All right, well, that's it. That's enough for tonight. What do we rank tonight in our Volt rankings, Eric? I give tonight a hot 1.5 out of 5. I am right Mark. there with Eric. A 1.5. I'll give tonight a 2. Mainly because of my love for the title track. I, that title track, I like it so much that it, it 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 raises the rest of the album. It's a very forgettable album, but it does go down smooth. And I I had I did listen to it maybe like ten times for the podcast because it's over before you know it. Uh, part of that's also because so much of it is very forgettable. But um, I don't know. It it might put you in a good mood. It's definitely not what you're going to go to when you want to listen to David Bowie. Sure. It's what you go to when you want to <laughs> relax on a, on a in a lounge chair on a the in the deck somewhere where people play shuffleboard behind you. Um, yeah. And I, it's funny, though, you know, sometimes I'm prone to hyperbole is we all can be. And <laughs> I did text Eric. I was like, oh, man, I think when all is said and done, you know, this is a this is better than all the other stuff we had to listen to that was in the 80s. Which that's not true. I, I do think that uh, "Let's Dance" has, is, has much more going for it, and I even think "Never Let Me Down" probably has more going for it than "Tonight" does. But uh, "Loving the Alien" and the title track I like a lot, and it's not the you know, it's not the the the, the total car crash that David Bowie pretends it is now. It's a uh, I've heard worse albums by artists before, so 
so. Yeah, I, I would actually say that that loving the alien is better than anything off of um, Never Let Me Down, and the lyrics are better than anything off of Let's Dance. It's just Let's yeah. Dance had superior, like a, a band, like a studio band that was just tight as a fucking bell. Hey, Le- Lennox. Uh, so I've never taken you to a tropical island before, but you have been to a beach, so you kind of get those vibes. So let's talk a little bit about David Bowie's Tonight. How many bolts would you give it? I would give Tonight maybe a two out of five. Oh, okay. Two out of five. Very nice. What? Um, what's your least favorite song on it? Um, Tumble and Twirl. Oh, yeah, that's a weird one. What's your favorite song? God Only Knows. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Fan of the cover. And um, I guess when it comes down to it, how uh, will tonight be cons- be thought of as one of David Bowie's more interesting albums? No. Thank you. So, yep. All right, well... Let's roll the dice and hopefully we don't have to follow this up with hours. I've got the list, Eric. We've got All eight right. more to go. And I've. All right. It's nine, eight, so let's call it an eight. Okay. That would be reality. All right. All right. It's a, there you so go. this will be the last album we talk about as far as chronology goes, right? What's, what's, what's left? Make sense? Yep. That's right. Yep. Yep. This will be the one that's closest to the present day. Yes. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of live stuff around this album. So that'll be excellent. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. This is Steve. This is Mark. And Eric. And as always, we hope that we brought you closer to pod. (laughs) 